Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we're thankful that we can sing the song of the redeemed. Sing the song that says we know our eternity has been settled by the blood of Jesus Christ, by his resurrection from the dead, by his power over sin, over death, and over us. Lord, we thank you for being such a good God and gracious and Lord, we can't explain it, yet the Bible tells us that you're not ashamed to call us brethren. Lord, we ask that you would accept our worship in song. We pray for the special this morning. Lord, I pray that the preaching would draw our hearts in true worship to the true God today. And that the time of invitation the things that need to be changed and altered in our lives, we would be willing to give to you that which is your due. We pray for the offering that you would bless us and that you would, as you have promised, we cannot outgive you. Lord, let us let not one person come to give trying to get from you, but let us give in a true heart of worship and love for you who have given everything for us. Lord, we ask that we would leave this place different than when we came. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing for the next song. The children's and toddler churches, the rest of us, let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. And uh, last week, we just finished basically a series on the blessings or the Beatitudes, faith in the Beatitudes. And our, our theme this year is the just shall live by, what's that next word in there? His faith. Yes. Uh, we want to drill that in. Amen. Because it's easy to talk about faith. Uh, we warn our students when they go to Heartland, you know what? It's easy to be a Christian on the campus of Heartland Baptist Bible College. Uh, because that's what you're supposed to be. That's what everybody is trying to be. But if you've been there, you know there's a lot of people that are faking it. If you're going to really serve God, you have to make the choice yourself to do it. And there will be a time, even when you have lots of people around you, that you're going to feel all alone. Feel like you're the only one. That's the devil's greatest tool, is he wants to make you feel like you're the only one out there. You're the only one paying the price. And that's simply not true. Uh, I like what God told Elijah. He said, I got 7,000. That was in the land of Israel, in the days of Ahab and Jezebel. He said, I've, I've got my men everywhere. Don't worry about what other people are doing. You better be concerned with what you're doing. And if you like titles, I tried to think of something a little catchy this morning for this one. I don't know if it works or not, but don't try to hide when you can be hidden. Don't try to hide things. That you cannot hide when God has a place for you 
to hide from the storms of life. And so this little psalm here is one of great comfort. Many people love to read this psalm, but uh, I'll tell you, there, there's, a, there's a whole life of living in this little psalm. There's a lot of conviction in, in Psalm 32, and I want us just to read all 11 verses as we begin. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be not as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. How many of you saw the title there, Hiding Things, and when God has a place for us to hide? You see, the psalmist starts out with blessings, just like the Beatitudes. He said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit... There is no guile. I mean, if you found yourself in that situation, uh, certainly you should be able to claim that title of being blessed. Amen? Uh, and that is where God wants every believer to be. Because how many sins did Jesus pay for on the cross, my friend? Every one of them. I'm so glad I'm not a Calvinist. I hope you don't mind me saying that, but uh, there just seems to be a resurgence. Uh, I'm sorry, a little rude this morning, but a resurgence of stupid. Uh, in, in, uh, in our circles as Baptists, of people wanting to embrace Calvinism. I'll tell you what. I'm glad Jesus didn't only die for the sins of the saved. He died for every sin that was ever sinned by every person who ever sinned it. So that not one soul has an excuse 
No one burning in the flames of hell today, awaiting their final destination of the lake of fire today, can say, I'm here because God put me here. Every one of them got there by ignoring the work of God in their life and in the world. You know, they tell the story, and I I heard this story as a little boy in a chapel in the Christian school I grew up in, and so I have no documentation for it. Uh, So this... I heard the story over 40 years ago, and the story was old when I heard it. So, I mean, we're going back in time here. And uh, there was an African missionary in Africa, and he was going to a place where the uh, gospel had never been. And uh, he had made certain contacts and was going to be taken back into the jungle by some tribesmen, and he was going to meet some people there and... Finally, after years of preparation, he was able to get back into that place. And and what a day it was as he got there and, and the chief came out and the people came out and he began through the interpreters to explain to them that God had sent him with the message. And as he was explaining a little bit about the message of the Bible, they said an old man began pushing and shoving people out of his way. And he got up right in the missionary's face and he said, What took you so long? And he's He said, I knew there had to be more of a God than the witch doctors. And he said, I've been praying and I don't remember the number of years, but it was well over 20 years that God would send me someone with his message. And I want to know what took you so long. Let me tell you something. There is no excuse for any living soul to end up in hell. There is no excuse for any one of us in this auditorium this morning not to be able to claim the blessings that are in these first two verses. To have our transgressions forgiven. To have our sin covered. To have a spirit in which is no guile. That when we stand before God, God says, There is nothing I can lay to His charge. The devil is the accuser of the brethren. And unfortunately, the devil doesn't have to look very far to find something to accuse us of, now does he? I mean, we talk about the devil doing this. You know, the devil doesn't do near as much as we do to ourselves. And David here is writing and he says, listen, this is where you ought to be. This is the life of blessing. This is the life of the Christian To live in a place where your transgressions are covered. You know, this presidential campaign. There are so many skeletons rattling in those closets. 
that they have to rent storage at the public storage place to keep them. Or maybe they just use a public email server. Oh, I'm sorry, I'll just keep... It just comes out once in a while, forgive me. It's so absurd that we would have these two people who the list of accusers could fill the pages of our paper every day between now and the election. Just the accusations. It's a sad day, isn't it? But you know, the devil does that to each one of us before God every day. The devil wants to hinder us. And how many times have we not done something the Lord wanted us to do because of some memory of some wrong thing that we have done? This is a psalm of David. You know what? He had some really bad memories. There there were some dark hallways that David walked through. And we're not talking only the valley of the shadow of death. We're talking the valley of foolishness and the valley of evil that he chose to walk down. And, and, and he exalts here the Lord and he says, Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. I wish I had a dollar for every person to say, Well, I know God forgives sins, but I can't forgive myself. You know what? There's a word for that in the Bible. It's called pride. The greatest sin in the Bible. If God is willing to forgive you for your sin, who in the world do you think you are that are going to keep holding yourself accountable for something Jesus paid for? Now, let's not go to the other extreme. Uh, where you're in prison for mass murder and a serial killer and all of a sudden you become a preacher? I, I, I don't know about that. But I, I'll tell you this. God can save anybody. And He wants everybody to give their testimony. But the best testimonies are not, I used to do this, used to do that, used to... If you're going to give a testimony about Jesus, don't tell me what you did to serve the devil. Tell me what Jesus is doing in your life today. You see, that's what David's talking about in this passage as he introduces this here. Blessed is the man. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. Now look at this next one. And in whose spirit there is no guile. Now we have this belief, and I believe it's wrong, that certain people are just blessed with great intelligence and others um, um, are not, will be kind. Amen? We, We believe that. How many times during the Obama presidency have you heard about, well, I have the smartest man in the room here. 
His first attorney general couldn't figure out his own income tax, and he was still the smartest man in the room. In whose spirit there is no guile. Listen, that's not talking about smart. That's not talking about native intelligence. I know there are differences in IQ. But we could have one of our little children in the toddler's church. And we could bring him up here and say, um, the Bible, uh, not the Bible, but the Book of Mormon teaches that God was married to Mary, was one of his wives, and had several children. And Jesus was one of them. And I promise you, a little child, five years old, that sat in this church for a couple of years would say, that's a lie. How many of you have ever turned on the television, heard some preacher preach and say, I don't know what it is, but it feels weird. Huh? How many of you have grown enough in Christ to be able to use this book to tell the difference between right and wrong? You see, that's what it's talking about when it says, In whose spirit there is no guile. You can't be tricked. You cannot be deceived by the lies of this world. Uh, I, I spend some time teaching. I'm not afraid of naming names, as you'll figure out. I don't like naming names. I don't like uh, spending time teaching the wrong teachings because I'd rather teach the right teachings. Because the closer you are to what's right, the easier it will be for you to recognize wrong. And that's what the psalmist is saying. I got an email a while back from somebody who asked if we use Rick Warren's books. And I sent a very quick reply. I said, we don't use Rick Warren's books. We don't believe they're biblical. We don't want anything to do with them at this church. Because the purpose-driven life is not Christian. If you really want to know what it is, it's Buddhist. You keep saying the same thing over and over until God gives it to you. That's Buddhism. That's a mantra. God is not a slot machine. You don't approach Him with what you want. You approach Him as God and ask Him to give you what He wants. And you're the one that will benefit. Can we say amen to that? See, that's what it means by in whose spirit there is no guile. How many of you would like to be in that place? The blessed man whose transgressions are covered. When you stand before God, he says, I cannot charge you with any crime that you have committed. And you can't be tricked by the liars and the deceivers of this world. What a place to be. And I want you to understand, if you're not there today, it's not God's fault. It's our, it's our fault. It's your fault as an individual. 
You see, that's what David's going to say in verse 3. Look what he says. Now, in English, there would have to be a but there. But this is Jewish poetry, so there's no but. He says, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. And then he puts in that word, Selah. Uh, uh, this is not a scholarly translation of that word, but it just simply means stop and think about it. Take a minute and ponder this thought. Because here's what David is doing. He's taking verses 1 and 2, and he's giving us the position of blessing where the believer in Christ ought to be. And then he's taking verses 3 and 4 and saying, here is where I am. And it's not a good place. It's not the same place. How many of you have ever said, don't raise your hands because everybody would have to? Lord, I'm going to serve you more as soon as I get this mess straightened out. We've all said that. Don't you think that's what David was trying to do in those intervening months as he was waiting for the baby to be born from Uriah's wife? He was hoping and praying that somehow this thing would work out, and yet he knew it wasn't going to work out. He knew that God wasn't hearing his prayers. And by the time, that's not, by the way, that's not the only time in David's life where he sinned against God. David said, when I kept silence, he said, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. How many of you have been so tired and worn out, the only thing you can do is go... I'll tell you, physically tired is one thing. Spiritually tired is something else. A wounded spirit, who can bear? David said, my spirit was wounded. He said, I roared all the day long. He said, I was like that lion. They say that when a lion receives its death wound and, and, and it, it knows that, that life is ebbing out, that it just begins to destroy every living thing in its path. From a blade of grass to a, Lord forbid, you're in the way. Uh, it, The lion will kill anything in its path. That's why the Bible says the devil goes about as a roaring lion. He's already received that death wound. But he is trying to wreak out his vengeance in his last gasp. And here's what David is likening himself to. He says, I just roared all the day long. You know, I wonder if that's not the reason why people like such loud music today. You go into a restaurant, boom, boom, boom. 
I want to eat. I can't digest to a beat. Just turn the lousy noise down and let me enjoy my meal. The only thing's worse than when there's a television in there. They say, I don't know what the statistic is, but it's way over half our nation eats their meals in front of a TV set. Could I challenge you? That's not a healthy thing. The most beneficial thing for a child growing up is to eat their meals staring at that brother or sister they hate. I mean, their brothers and sisters. Uh, If you sit down at the table every night and enjoy a meal, you can't hate them very long. Parents, if you'll sit down and enjoy that meal as a family, you're going to know what's going on in your kids' hearts and minds. Maybe that's why David said, Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Amen? You see, he said, God's hand was heavy on me. He said, I had no rest. He said, my moisture has turned into the drought of summer. It's been hot this week, has it not? say, oh, it's so hot, I'm just sweating. That's good. If you stop sweating, that's when you're in trouble. That's not heat exhaustion. That's the first sign of heat stroke. And you better get inside, you better get somewhere and get help fast. Because heat stroke can be deadly. David said, even my moisture was turned into the drought of summer. He said, there's nothing pleasant in my life. How many people live in this city eating scrumptious meals at fancy restaurants and trying to drown out all of the noise with music and wine and uh, uh, all of the uh, uh, things the world has to offer? Somebody said, if you're going to hell, you might as well go under the influence of something. Well, I got a better choice for you. How about you get off that road and get on the gospel road? Amen. How about you get off the road of damnation and onto the road of God's salvation? You see, this city is full of people trying to take care of their own sin. Now, David was speaking as a saved man. But the same thing is true of every unsaved person. How many of you remember what it was like before you got saved? And how you're just waiting for the events that you had pulled yesterday to come back and bite you today. Or worse yet, somebody else was laying traps and snares for you to destroy you and... And you just weren't smart enough to get around them and get away from them. That, that's what David said. That's where I am. But look at verse 5. Again, he's, he's, bound, he's contrasting these ideas. And he puts that sila in there to make us stop and to, to think and to say, look at this situation. Paint the whole picture in your mind and in your soul. I acknowledged my sin unto thee. 
and mine iniquity have I not hid. How, how much effort do people spend trying to hide sin? I'm not trying to be crude, ladies, but how much money is spent on makeup and clothing to hide things? And by the way, if you think women are vain, go into one of these new <clears throat> men's clothing shops. They, they've got all kinds of things in there. I can't imagine this, but they tell me it happens that men go and they have surgeries so that they can look better. I don't get it. Would you want somebody to love you because you cover up everything and hide things? What kind of relationship would that that be? That's what I tell my daughters. I said, you get used to wearing all that makeup and stuff. How do you know that he doesn't love what he thinks you are rather than what you really are? You, you want to be, you don't want to be dowdy. You don't want to be ridiculously plain. That's just as bad as putting on all the makeup and being ridiculous in the other direction. But what are you trying to hide? The world wants to use what you're trying to hide to manipulate you to do things. Isn't that true? And yet we spend time hiding things. We spend so much of our life hiding things. And God already knows about it. I mean, how dumb was Jonah? I'm going to run away from God. I mean, God's everywhere. I mean, that little word then is so pivotal in the book of Jonah. He was three days and three nights in the belly of the well. Then he prayed. I don't get that. You see, here's what the Bible says. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Do you get that? Yes, this is poetry, and David is trying to be a little creative in the wording here. But this whole idea of acknowledging is understanding that the greatest offense that you have created when you sin is against God's holiness. When is the last time you've contemplated God's holiness? I'll tell you, it's a thought that crosses my mind far less often 
than it should. One of the reasons I'm preaching on this passage today is we need to understand that we cannot sin, even the least little sin, without offending God's holiness. And God knows. He has every one of them written down in His books. How would you like to be God's bookkeeper? Every sin that has ever been sinned is written in His books. And when you get saved, the angel says, Okay, yeah, I know. Paid in full with the blood of Jesus Christ. Paid in full with the blood of Jesus Christ. Paid in full with the blood of Jesus Christ. How many more pages does this guy have? Oh, good night. I'm going to be here for a week. Aren't you glad that God forgives our sins? And He says He forgave the iniquity of my sin. How does, what does James say? But every man is drawn away from his own lust and enticed. And lust, when it hath conceived, bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth what? So why aren't you dead today? Why why am I not dead? Why didn't God just kill me and get it over with? Because He forgave me the iniquity of my sin. He stopped the pattern. Why can the Christian fall so many times and get back up again? It's because he stops the working of sin. It doesn't complete the circle because of the blood of Jesus Christ in your life. Can we say amen to that? Can we thank the Lord that He wants to stop that and cleanse us and give us a chance to serve Him again? You cannot sin a sin that shocks God. But you can let it shock you. And you can spend the rest of your life trying to hide something that Jesus has already paid for. You know, the sickest person in the whole world is the person that cannot even realize that they're sick. Isn't that true? You see, that's why David said, I acknowledge my sin. I got enough of this book to understand that my sin was an offense to God. And I acknowledge, then I confessed my sin. You know, there's a lot of talk in some circles on repentance today. Here's what repentance is. It's bringing your sin to God. There's no other place you can take it. By the way, can you get saved without bringing your sin to God? No, you can't. You say, but I don't even know all my sin. Wait a minute. What what did it say? I acknowledged my sin. I confessed it. And thou forgavest me the iniquity of my sin. You see, that... This is a commentary on 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins 
And that's what that last phrase means, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you'll take care of what you do know, God will take care of what you don't know. Your salvation isn't dependent upon your memory, it's dependent upon God's. But look at verse 6. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. I want to challenge you. Sunday morning is a time to do business with God. I I want to preach in a way, and I pray that I can preach in a way that will make you sit up and think and take notice and say, hey, there's some things that got to change in my life. Because we have no guarantees of the morrow. You know, that's one of the reasons Jesus didn't tell us when he was returning. Because if we knew when, everybody would try to get right the week before. Doesn't work that way. If you're not right today, you're not going to be right tomorrow. You see, you got to call on the Lord now. Most of us call on the Lord when the storm breaks. We see the tidal wave coming and, and we go, Dear God, save me! Too late. You see, God knew the tidal wave was coming. And He could move you out of the way so you wouldn't be there when it hit. But you've got to follow Him today. That's what the psalmist says when he says, The floods of water shall not come nigh thee. Why won't they come nigh unto Him? Because you called upon God when He could be found. How much praying do you think is going to go on during the white judgment seat of Christ? But God's not going to answer one of those prayers because it's too late. When you're called before that judgment seat, your fate has already been decided. But God in His justice is going to go through the record and prove it beyond any shadow of a doubt. Just like when you stand before the Bema or the judgment seat of Christ for the Christian. The verdict has already been read, paid in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. But he's going to go through our works to justify and to give us rewards so that we can use it to praise him in heaven. I do not know what's going on in the hearts and souls of every person here. I can't. I'm a human being. And you know what? I'm glad as a pastor. I don't have to hear your confession of every sin. And I'm glad I don't have to go find somebody to confess all my sins to that I can go directly to God who already knows every one of them. But you know what? He wants me to know that I've sinned. Then he wants me to come to him. Then he breaks the pattern of sin in my life. And he offers protection. You see, that's where it says, Thou art my hiding place. 
I think I've given this example more than once. It's well known. They were having an art contest, and the subject of the art contest was peace. And so people were trying to illustrate, artists were trying to illustrate on the canvas peace. And as they were walking through there, there was a picture of a cow in a pasture chewing its cud. That, that's pretty peaceful. And there's a picture of a mountain stream just rippling down through its little channel on the side of the mountain. And there's a picture of a pasture and the little birds flying. And then there was a picture of a terrible storm. And you could see the violence of the waves crashing against the cliff. And uh, you could just feel the tension and, and the terror in the painting. And as you got up there close... So about halfway, three-quarters of the way up that cliff, there was an eagle's nest. And as you look closer, there was the mama eagle in the nest. And the artist had so carefully painted the little eaglets under her wings. That's peace. See, peace is not the absence of the storm. Peace is having a faith in God that takes me through the storm. That is bigger than the storm. It's a hiding place. Remember, preacher, my pastor, Roy Thompson, told the story on more than one occasion as he was going through the chemotherapy with leukemia and things. He said, he said, I just don't know how to explain. He said, one night, he said, I was just at the bottom. He said, He said, it just felt like the devil was standing there whispering in my ear every sin that I had ever committed. He said, I didn't didn't want to wake up the next morning. He said, but then I thought about the forgiveness that Jesus had. He said, I don't want to ever go back to that place. And he's not. He's in heaven today, praise God. But he said, his forgiveness... Is greater than the work of the devil. That's the hiding place. There's lots of things you could be worried about today. But see, if you're that man that has his transgression covered, whom the Lord imputeth no iniquity, whom, uh, who there's no guile in your spirit, whose sin is covered, what are you worried about? You see, why do you waste your life effort trying to hide things that God already knows about when if you'll just tell God about those very things, He's got a place for you to hide from all the storms of this world. Now look at verses 8 and 9. Well, let's finish verse 7, I'm sorry. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Have you ever gotten depressed and just overwhelmed with life and all of a sudden, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. comes burbling up from in your soul somewhere. Hey, you know what? That's a song of deliverance. 
I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep me against that day. Amen? I love that song. I found a friend who is all to me. Oh, just thrills. That's why we sing the old hymns and we're not going to sing any more of that. We've never sung the Johnny Got a Rat Trap song and we're not going to ever sing it here because there's too much comfort and too much wonder in those songs of the deliverance. There's power. Power. Wonder-working power. There's power in the blood of the Lamb. He says, He'll compass me with songs of deliverance. It says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Have you ever had that happen? Every one of my kids has experienced that at one time or another. They might be just not quite paying attention the way they ought to be. But if I can get an eye, I get a change in behavior. Because they know if they don't respond to the eye, far worse is coming. So do you a mean dad? I, absolutely. It's the only kind of dad to be. Because then your kids will love you when they're old enough to understand. You see, what's the next verse say? Be not like a horse. Be ye not as a horse or as a mule. How many of you have ever met a horse of a person? How many of you be honest enough to say, I've played the part of a mule? God, I'll do right if you'll just make me do it. God says, you're not an animal. I made you with a little more sense than that. I'm not going to ride you like a horse. I'm not a fan, if you know me, I'm not a fan of horse riding. I'm a fan of horse power. Uh, I like engines. I like mechanics. The reason I don't like riding horses is not because I'm against horses or I think somehow it's going to hurt the horse. But I've never been around one long enough and in a place where we can build that relationship where the animal responds. Every horse I've ever been on knows that I'm nervous. And they don't like that because they feel insecure. And they're going to go their own way. And so every horse I've ever had to ride, I've got to pull the bit back in the mouth and hold it. I don't like that because I know what that bit does. It hurts. And I'm going to keep just enough hurt on that horse that he doesn't hurt me. Because a horse will walk you right under a tree and knock you off if they can. They'll brush that leg right up against the fence and turn it all black and blue. They just love to do that. If they think you don't know what you're doing, they're going to teach you a lesson or two. 
And I know enough about horses. That's not happening. I'm going to hold on tight. But I don't want God to have to do that to me. Do you? But it sure seems like I'd be better off if he did. How about you? I know the story of a guy. He said he was talking to a preacher and had a lot of problems. And he said, I I just wish you could give me a spanking. And the preacher looked at him and said, it won't do any good. You're 28 years old. It's against the law. God intended those things for little children to help them in the way. But now you're an adult. It doesn't work that way anymore. You have to make a choice. You see, you've got to look at verse 1 and 2. All those blessings. Say, I want that. You've got to look at verse 5, I think it is. And acknowledge your sin and confess your sin. So that all I need is the Lord to give me one of those looks. How many of you felt the Holy Spirit looking at you? Huh? You look at that alarm clock on Sunday morning and say, Oh, I just want another hour of sleep. And it's like, No, i got to go to church. got to. Not because the preacher is going to visit you Sunday afternoon and say, Where have you been? You know what? I don't do that. I want you to come because... God wants you to come. Amen? Because He can make you feel a whole lot worse than I can. But we benefit when we just obey Him. When we listen the first time. When, when we let that guidance be there for us. That we don't have to be as a horse or a mule that have no understanding that have to be held in and says, Many sorrows shall be to the wicked. Do I need to spend time on that passage? Is there somebody here that doesn't understand about how many sorrows the wicked have in their life? Listen. But he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. How do you get mercy? Remember how you get mercy? Mercy comes from the victor to the defeated. What happens when I acknowledge my sin and I confess my sin? I surrender myself to the Lord. That's how I got saved. That's how you ought to live every day. And that's where His mercy comes in. It compasses me about. I cannot overstep the bounds of God's mercy. Therefore, I can be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Now, how do you, how do you take those next two words and apply them to yourself? You righteous. 
Well, let's go back to verse 1. Verse 2, how does that happen? Through the blood of Jesus. And shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. You know, there are some people that live a very austere Christian life. You better not do this or God's going to bat out of... And they go on and on and on and on and on. That's not the motivation for the Christian life, my friend. If we can understand those blessings... The bitterness of the cup of the pleasures of sin would be so apparent to us we'd run the other direction when it's offered. How many would say, Preacher, there's some things in this psalm that I need God to work in my life. There there are some things here because I want to be in verses 1 and 2 and verse 11. That's that's where I ought to be, but I'm not there right now. I'm kind of like David... I'm out of the way. Well, the, the answer is here in this all. It doesn't do you any good to confess sins you don't understand. And by that I mean, you need to understand that your sin offends God first. Your sins hurt others first. There's not a one of us in this room that has not suffered because of the willful sins of other people. That's one of the things that makes sin, sin, is because the innocent always suffer. I don't know how many people I've had in my office and they say, Pastor, I just don't understand. You, you, you got to understand something. If there was no suffering attached to sin... What kind of world would this be that we live in? But I need to acknowledge my sin, not someone else's. I need to seek forgiveness for my sins because God will be found today. There's no guarantee that He's going to hear you tomorrow. Not because His ears are closed, but because you may have stepped over that line of grace and it may be too late. The Bible says you're going to reap what you sow. There's only one way to break that pattern. Acknowledging your sin, confessing your sin, and God will forgive you for your sin, and He'll cleanse you from the iniquity of your sin. He'll stop the pattern. That doesn't mean you won't reap everything, but it does mean that God took David's life out of what a depraved condition to have his, one of his closest and best men murdered by the enemies of Israel to cover up his sin. And yet David, God took David out of that mess and allowed him to be king of his people Israel. See, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit 
there is no guile. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We ask that you would speak to us out of this psalm. Lord, I can't believe that there's not something in here for every person in this room today. Lord, I just pray that we would have enough sense to see it. That we would stop looking to our neighbor or to our husband, to our wife, to our friends, to other people that we know. But we would understand that these words apply to us as individuals. That I need to look at me. And that I need to be where the blessings are. We ask, Lord, that you would do your work during this time of invitation. And Lord, we pray especially if there be one here today that's still trying to decide on the issue of salvation. That they would be able to solve that simply and according to the word of God by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask you to work. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. If you need to come and pray, the altar is open. If you're here today and you're not sure of your salvation, as we sing, would you come forward?